Welcome to Finally Alive Radio with Pastoral Counselor Gary Harris. To find out more, please go to finallyaliveradio.com. We're starting this, but we'll, we'll kind of backtrack a little bit, review, um, starting Acts 9, uh, 1, but actually we'll go to Acts 8, 40. And again, we're just going through the book of Acts, you know, kind of almost like a verse by verse, well, pretty much verse by verse, I think, right? And just realizing what what is happening, the Acts, I mean, even think of the, the title of, of this book, the Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, or, or is what some of the Bibles will say. And what is it? It's the outcome of them walking and doing the commission, right? Go out into all the world and preach the gospel. It's happening as we see it, and there it is. So it's the Acts of that. It's the Acts of the Apostles doing you know, their, their commission, their aspect of the commission. That's literally the entire book. That's what uh, Acts is all about. And we've seen from the moment they, they receive the Spirit, they're filled with the Spirit, they're speaking, they're talking to people, they're, they're speaking in tongues is what it says. And you see, what, what did it say? From uh, Jerusalem and on. It's, it's just spreading and spreading and spreading. And we've now come to the place where they've hit all the Jewish kind of places of the day, right? Of what they know, and what they understand. And here's another thing I was, and I, I know everyone's probably heard this, but uh, you know, people say things like, well, all you need is the New Testament, right? All you need is the New Testament. Well, what does that mean? All you need is the New Testament to be saved because that's where the gospel is. So yeah, that's true if, we, if, we're, if that's the rest of your thought. The part after you're saved becomes an issue because basically everything in the, Old, uh, in the New Testament has some sort of connection back to the Old Testament. I mean, it's the Old Testament people who are writing about the New Testament. Does that make sense? So they, they, that's just the way they would have seen it. So to say that to divorce the two, totally wrong. That's just not, it's just, you can't do that. You won't understand the New Testament unless we can understand uh, the Old Testament. Anyway, see, we already started off with some ranting. There you go. So um, Acts 8.40. So this is where Philip ends off, remember, with the uh, the Ethiopian, right? He preaches, he talks to him. And remember, it, it keeps naming places. It's doing that on purpose. All right, just to show you, look, at it's going places. It's going as Jesus said, hey, as we were commanded. So 8.40 says, But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, the, through he preached the gospel to all to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So notice this is outside of, of the known Jews of the day, okay? We're, we're going outside of the realm, outside of the, the territory. This is important because how does uh, Paul say it? I think it's in Romans 1. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, right? That's where the power of salvation is. And then he, he throws in that little, that quick little line in there, to the Jew first and then to the Greek, right? And that's exactly what's happening. To the Jew first and now, we're coming to the place where we're going to start to go outside the realms of the Jews, okay? So 9.1, Acts 9.1 says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. And that was a key word, if you guys remember last week, Damascus, all right? That's, where's Damascus? It's all the way up north. It's by Dan, and then uh, Caesarea Philippi is like all the way, let's see here, to the west, west of it. He's all the way uh, up north here. And asked him for the letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, and that's what they would call the Christians of the day, right? Those of the way, okay? Men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So he's going to go all the way to Damascus. This is pretty far, guys. You're going all the way up north, all right, to, to bound them, right? To, to, to bring them back to Jerusalem. I'm going to jail them. I'm going to take them down. So what a crazy, crazy thought. I mean, if, if we want to say that the Bible is forgery, this is the part that you would want to keep out if you ask me, because this doesn't paint Christianity as a pretty picture. Because remember, this is the guy who ends up getting the message of, about the church. 
right? And you don't want to hear news like this. He doesn't sound like a good guy. But I think that's the best part is he's not. He's, in a sense, in a weird way, he's kind of lost here so far right now. He's kind of lost, okay? Ah, darn it, let me explain that. From the Jewish perspective, he's not lost. He's right on target. He thinks he's actually doing God's will. But is he lost? Well, yeah, because he doesn't know the rest of the story yet. He doesn't know the Jesus part yet, and he's going to get it right here. So, now as he went on his way, verse 3, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. There's your, um, there's your divine encounter. I think that's important. Remember we talked about that? Divine encounters. You'll notice the apostles will tend to have some sort of divine encounter. All right? Especially, especially the main ones, like the, the Peters, uh, obviously walk with Jesus. Uh, the prophets, the prophets, oh, Moses, they all have this big divine encounter. So there's something to that. And notice what they do. They, they tie that to Paul too. That's important to mention. All right? And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I, I mentioned this last week. Do you guys find it interesting? Jesus just starts saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? How is he persecuting Jesus? It's not literal. But it's the idea that you're persecuting my family. And it's, it's the old mafia thought, right? You mess with, or I don't know, is that mafia? I don't know. You mess with me, you mess with my whole family. That, that kind of meant, I mean, it's probably not mafia. I guess it could be mafia, I don't know. But, but that, that type of idea there, we're family. You don't mess with my family. You're messing with them, you're messing with me. I, I love that because it, it makes it so much more personal. We're, we're the same family is what he's saying. Uh, and he said, who are you, Lord? I love that. It's like, wait, what, Lord? Wait, <laughs> what? Uh, and he said in the red letters here, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. Again, how does he persecute him? Well, you persecute his people and you're persecuting God's, well, not persecuting God's plan, but you're messing with God's plan. That's the issue here. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. So let's, let's get the picture straight here. Shiny lights, something talks to you, and then it tells you what to do. Hey, go and go to the city and I'll let you know what to do. <laughs> what? That's weird. That is just weird. But that's a divine encounter for you. You'll know a real divine encounter today compared to the fake ones that we always hear about. You know, the, the guys who go to heaven, they came to heaven and they went to heaven and they went to hell and they came back. You'll know that it's a divine encounter, usually because they get a message with it. They'll get a message with it that usually isn't flattering or nice. Uh, and on top of that, you will see eventually the proof of why there was a divine encounter. Again, with the people, you know, going to hell and back and uh, I went to heaven and came back. I don't know. I don't know what's what's really coming of that. I, I don't see anything. But Paul here, uh, the prophets, you know, Moses, you see the evidence eventually. You see what's going on. You see why God speaks to them or pulls them, pulls them uh, aside. So the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. So clearly he is not, he, he's not hallucinating, okay? So let's get that out of the way. He's not hallucinating. Others hear it too. Oh, I was going to say this last week and it just, I couldn't think of it. It just hit me now. There's never been a report of a group hallucination. There's never been proof of that. I know that sounds weird because if a person hallucinates, it's just them who hallucinates. It's never like a group, which is kind of, I don't know, this is, I don't know if you want to call it proof, but it's kind of cool to see that because since there's no proof of uh, group hallucinations, clearly they weren't hallucinating. They actually heard a voice. All right. So it was like on the tip of my tongue last time when I was telling you guys about this, but yeah, there it is. So hearing the voice, but seeing no one, uh, verse eight, Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they let him uh, by the hand and brought him uh, into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was disciple, a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Uh, the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. 
and he has seen a vision, uh, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. What a message, man. Go talk to Saul. Yeah, that's Saul, that same guy who's been persecuting the church. Yeah, go to that guy. Oh, and then uh, don't don't forget to lay hands on him because you're going to heal him. (laughs) What? What are you doing, Lord? Right? That's the thought that comes to our minds. And and notice Ananias' response here. Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, uh, how much evil he has done to your uh, saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. And we talked about this really uh, last week, but I'll, I'll mention it again. Is this him questioning God in a malicious way or a nasty way, or is he actually confused? It, it really is a Mary moment. Remember, remember, you guys remember that. Mary, how am I to have a child if I haven't been with a man? She's not doubting. She just doesn't understand. I'm confused. How does that work? And then she gets her answer, and then here he gets his answer. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles. And here's our transition. Jews as they would have known it, all right? Jews as they, as, as they knew it, of the land of their world. Now we have that tra- transition. The Romans one thing is actually happening with Paul. To the Jew first and now to the, to the Greeks or to the world, to the, to the Gentiles in this case. Go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Jeez, huh? how, what, a, what a nice message that is, huh? Take a look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. Let's just go there really quick. Paul says some interesting things here, speaking of suffering, because it, it's no joke. He really suffered. And here's, here's some of the account here. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11 verse 21, and this is him speaking. He says, to my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. So guys, I'm no different than you guys. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. Remember, he's speaking as a fool, right? I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. So was the spirit lying when when he was speaking about Paul and how much he's going to suffer? No, and it keeps going. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. And and that's an important line. You guys know about that. The 40 less one, just in case I miss miscounted. If I miscount, hit you 41, I get the 40 lashes too. So uh, I like the little extra line in there. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Gosh, I mean, only one of these. Think about it. If it was your, you or me, only one of these would be like, oh my gosh, I'm done. Lord, pick someone else, right? No, we're not done yet, right? And on top of that, what? He's, he's uh, three times, uh, he says he's sh- shipwrecked a night and a day. <laughs> I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Gosh, man. I mean, left and right, wherever you want to go. So was Jesus kidding about the suffering? Why did Paul have to go through all kinds of suffering? Why was this necessary? Here, let's play uh, devil's advocate. All right. Oh, if God is so loving, why would he allow this to happen? Because sometimes that's what it takes. Remember, we talked about conflict. You guys remember conflict, right? This is a conflict. This is a really, really big conflict. He is talking about things. He is talking, oh man, how do, how do we equate this to, to today? It's, it's, like, it's like going into, ooh, I don't know, it's, it's like going into Washington, D.C. and telling them about a whole brand new system that they aren't doing and they're doing it wrong and you're supposed to be doing it this way. That's the closest thing I, I can think of. I'm sure we can, if I sit down, I can think of a better one. But how do you do that? How do you go into Congress and say, you guys are all rats, you guys are all messed up, all of you guys need to be thrown out, here's a new system. What are they going to do to you? Good luck with that one, right? Yeah, that's going to work really good. Well, 
I think that's a, a pretty qu close equivalent, but except they actually tried to kill him. All right, here you might go through a trial, right? Uh, you're crazy and they, you know, they, I don't know. So false brothers, verse 27, in toil and hardship through many, a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Jeez, if, it's not, if that's not enough. Now there's the men mental torture. Who is weak? And uh, I'm not weak. Who is made to fall? And, and uh, I'm not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. On and on he goes. He talks about, you know, the, the, the other things too. Well, okay, let me read this last part in here. That's right. Um, I don't want to miss this uh, important piece. Verse 31, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, right, that's where he was. At Damascus, the governor under King Eretes was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. And that's, that's Acts 9. Well, let's go back to Acts 9. So uh, Acts 9, 16, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And we just read a whole bunch of different accounts of all the suffering Paul goes through. Now, you know that every, obviously every Christian isn't going to suffer like this. It's it just, I think that's obvious, right? We've seen it. Why Paul? Because Paul could. He can handle it. God already prepared him before he was born to handle all of that. Which, which says this for you, you know, you can handle whatever God gives you. That, this is an important thing. If God gives you a direction, if God tells you to do a certain thing, it might seem overwhelming. I'm sure that list sounded overwhelming to Paul, but he does it. And that's the important part. If God's given you a direction, walk it. Oh, but it's too much. Just, just try it. How about, let's just try it first, all right? Just try, because I say that not, not to soften the blow, but I want you to just go and try, because you'll see you'll be able to do it. That's my point. So if Paul can do his walk, you for sure can do your walk. Will it be like Paul's? Will, it be, will yours be like mine? No, it doesn't matter. It's not, a, it's not a comparison thing. It's what God gives you, and walk that. All right? Will you, will you suffer... To the degree that God wants you to suffer on, on your level, yeah, that might be more or less than me. Who cares? But you walk your walk, just like Paul did. Anyway, there's your motivational speech for the day. Verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, notice this part. Ananias, think about it. He's looking at this guy. This is the guy who's killing and, and throwing Christians in, uh, in bondage and, and throwing, them in, throwing them in jail, right? And here I am praying for the guy. This is such an important piece because this goes to show how much you have to trust God. It has to go beyond your, your own logic. It has to go beyond that. What are you going to do? And I'm totally making this one up. What are you going to do if God says, hey, see the Muslim person over there? I want you to pray for that specific one. But Lord, don't you know what these people have done? We are, we are I don't know, we are enemies. I don't know, whatever, whatever you might come up with. If God tells you to do it, go do it. Just like Ananias does. He, he asks a question. Lord, are you sure? Like, this is that guy. Yeah, don't worry. He's going to suffer. Don't worry. He's got, he's got a lot to deal with. Now go over there and pray for him. And exactly what he does. Man, I mean, I, I hope we and other Christians can have a heart like this, right? Because that, that's hard. That's hard to do. It's very difficult to do. But it becomes easier when you just rely on God and just want to say, okay, I, I just want to hear you. I'm trusting you, God. Trusting faith. Ananias departed and entered the house, <clears throat> laying his hands on him. He said, what? Brother Saul. All right? Notice these words. Yeah, the guy who's been killing and, and, and pillaging or whatever, you know, and, and throwing them in, into jail. You're my brother now. Why? Because God said so. Why? Because God gets all, all the authority. He has all the authority. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came, 
has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the, with the Holy Spirit. Notice the wording again, being filled. Remember Stephen, what was he? He was filled with the Holy Spirit. There's something to that, all right? That's why the church has to be filled. You can't just be saved. There's that, I'll call it a two, two-part or three-part process, I guess. Being saved, get baptized by all means, all right? And we've talked about baptism, but then you've got to get filled with the Spirit. Don't skip that part. A lot of people skip that part. You know, and let's be real. To, to some people, they don't know any better, and, and it's and, and it's just weird. Okay, it's weird because it's spiritual. It's not our realm. It's not our world. But again, if you're trusting God, you get filled with the Spirit. How do you do it? You just ask for it. It's super simple. People overcomplicate these things. I was talking to a guy years ago. I think I've shared this with you guys. We were in the car, and I know he said you know, he's going to church. I said, "Hey, man, are you filled? Do you have the Spirit? Have you?" Are you feeling the spirit? He's like, no, man. I'm like, why not? He's like, oh, well, I, I just got so many demons. I, I like kind of my own little demons in the closet, not literal demons. But I, I've got my own demons in the closet. I've got to work those out. I'm like, where does it say that, dude? Where did you come up with that? No, but I got to be right with God. Well, okay, be right with God, but you're already saved, right? You believe in Jesus? Yeah. Then why wouldn't you be filled with the spirit? I said, dude, let the things work itself out because it will. And guess what? You're always going to have a struggle, all right? You're always going to have something you're struggling with. Everyone has a vice. Everyone has something, all right? Everyone, everyone has impure thoughts, all right? That's just life. But notice what Satan will do. Oh, impure or bad. You, you, you're doing these things. You're not right. You're not right yet. No, you're right. If you're saved, you're right. And everyone, everyone gets the Spirit. There, there's no list here that says, after you do these set of things, except for, except for being saved by believing, then you receive the Spirit. There's nothing else. It doesn't tell you anything. It doesn't say you, you must do this list of stuff, right? Be right upon your brethren. It doesn't say any of that. See, we, we kind of make, the, we, I think we make things up or we just complicate things. Or maybe someone tells them these things. I don't know. Anyway, long story short, filled with the Spirit, spoke in tongues, praise God. This was years ago. But, you know, it, it's just crazy what, what people, unfortunately, will believe and what Satan will do for people not to be filled with the Spirit. Because where's the power? In the Spirit, right? You must be filled with the Spirit. All right, and verse 18, And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. That's, again, it's interesting. Notice, he's, he believes, obviously, right? And then he's baptized. What is He's also filled with the Spirit. He's, he's got the three pieces there. Taking food, he's strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. It's a weird line. It's a really weird line. Again, where, where is he uh, in the, the synagogue? So who's, who's, who is he talking to? The Jews of the day, right? Jews of the day. So how do you go into a synagogue and preach Jesus saying he is the son of God? Who does that? Well, Paul does that, but that's that's crazy. That's crazy talk. That's crazy. How do you do that? Remember, to, to their world, what, what who is the son of God? To you know, your ancient Israelite, right? Who, who is the son of God to them? Israel is known as the children of God, right? A king could be known as the son of God, right? He's like the chosen the chosen one, right? But who is he talking about here? Is he talking about those guys? If we keep reading, it'll answer it for you. You'll see here. So immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. Who? Jesus. Verse 21, and all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made, who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? He's like doing the opposite of what we thought he would be doing. What's going on? Is this the same guy? Yeah, it is. Verse 22, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Who is the son he's talking about? He's not talking anything Old Testament son, okay? He's talking about 
this Jesus, all right? I only say that because there are those who will say, oh, no, no, see, he's not actually talking about Jesus. No, it says it right there. How do you, how do you, it's literally two verses down. It says it right there. He's not talking about Israel being the children of God. The context doesn't tell you that. Anyway, anyway, all right. Do you guys find it interesting? He gets filled. Obviously, he believes. He's filled with the Spirit. He gets baptized. He eats some food. And then the first thing you, you hear is what? Boom, he's off preaching. The guy was ready. The guy's been doing this probably forever, right? He's ready. He knows the Old Testament story. He knows it. He, he was missing the most important piece, the cornerstone, right? The cornerstone. This was it. He finally got it. And boom, already he's out there. He's already out there running with that message. Speaking of Jesus. Verse 23. When many days, when many days had passed, the Jews, what do they do? Typical, right? Oh, you ancient Jews. The Jews plotted to kill him. Why? Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll go kind of theoretical or hypothetical or theoretical. Here we go. Who is Paul? He's a Pharisee of Pharisees. When this guy talks, I bet it forces you to listen. Because one, he's trained and... Well, no, no. One, he's actually called of God. And two, he's trained and, and the list. And it's going to be very difficult to refute a person like Paul. Paul is different in the sense, of, like with Peter and all the rest, of, all, all the other disciples, right? And Thomas, maybe maybe he's, he's got some stuff, but Paul's different. This man is trained. Think about it. Moses, he's trained. God uses people who are trained. They're ready for this job. Paul could refute anything that came up. And we see that in, in his writings, right? Corinthians and, oh man, Galatians is a great one, right? Oh, foolish Galatians, who have bewitched you? And then he goes in and just tears them, tears them apart. Just tears them apart. He is the best one to do that. On top of that, not just, not just the defending part, but also he's able to take a, a, an Eastern thought into the Western. That's, that's where the, the Gentiles would be especially eventually, and here we are, Westerners. Who else but Paul? Paul was the perfect one. He's like the man. And that's part of the reasons why they would plot to kill him. They can't shut the man up, all right? And really, what is it? Is, is it just he's smart? Is it No, no, it's the Spirit. Remember, he's filled with the Spirit. These are little important details. He's filled with the Spirit, okay? But their uh, plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night. Remember this line? We just read this in uh, Corinthians. They were watching the gates, uh, gates day and night, in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Remember in Corinthians, we just read this. He recounts that. He recounts this experience that we're reading. How did it happen? He did something bad? He killed someone? No. He's just preaching Jesus. Sometimes that's what happens. You, you make enemies. Isn't it funny? The gospel to us as believers, gospel also means good news. It's bad news for some people. It's news people don't want to hear. You know, especially today, it's it's a weird, I don't know, man, it's a weird time. It's like almost eerie. I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense. It's just, just my own take. It's like, it's just a weird time. Like you talk to people, it's like they're like zombies sometimes. It's like, what? Is there anyone in there? You know, is there anyone in there? You know, weird time, man, weird time. But I don't know. I mean, am I going conspiracy theory here? But if people can be zombies, here I go weird on you. But if people can be zombies, you know, all that works is, you know, TV on, TV off. You know, there's, there's nothing else that works, right? Perfect. The gospel is very difficult to penetrate, all right? Because remember, there, there is the aspect of the will. God will not violate your will. But there's this weird, I don't know, man. I don't know if you guys can, I don't know if you guys experience that too, but it's like, it's like zombies. But you know what, they, what does penetrate? Self-help stuff. Oh yeah, this will help you. Read this book. Here's a, here's a Joel Osteen book. <laughs> Here, here's a good book. It's all feel-good stuff. That works. You know why? Because that, that coincides pretty good with the entertainment you know, stuff, right? The stuff you see on TV. And it's bite-sized. It's easy, right? It's easy, right? That, unfortunately, that's just where we are. Anyway, that's my conspiracy theory. Regardless, though, regardless of that, I'll say this. 
God isn't dumb. All right, just just the way you see him being very strategic here in what we're reading, he's strategic today. Hasn't stopped. Remember the the fullness of the Gentiles. We're not there yet. Okay, Revelations has not passed yet. Okay, there's still Jews to be saved, right? If you if you read Revelations, right? So God knows what He's doing. That the plan is still working. And when He had verse 26, and when He had come to Jerusalem, He uh, attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of Him, for they did not believe that He was a disciple. But Barnabas took Him, and this is the same guy we read in uh, I think was it chapter four. Barnabas took Him and brought Him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road He had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So man, look at this. God provides this, you know, this guy Barnabas to vouch for him. He's like, man, I saw the guy. I saw him preach. He's all right. Give him a chance, right? Give him a chance. Verse 28, so he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and dis- uh, disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Now here's something weird. Wasn't Jerusalem already preached at? Isn't that where it started? Why does he go back? Because he loves them. It's his people. Why wouldn't he go? He knows the truth now, and he wants to go save his uh, brothers. I mean, yeah, it makes sense, right? He loves them. But I, I can't recall, or I don't re- remember seeing anything here that says, hey, go go to them. I, I, it's, it's, at least it's not hitting me right now. If, if it does, let me know. But he, he goes there, and what does he get? And then how does it say uh, the... the uh, he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. Jesus is... It's how, they, want to, they want to kill him too. When the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Like, dude, get out of here, man. Do you find it interesting that he's sent out of there? Because who is he called to? Gentiles. Do you see God's plan? It's always perfect. Anyway, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. So isn't that crazy that all that havoc is happening? And here you are bringing a new, a new message, a different direction. You know, it's, it's not about Judaism anymore. It's about... The, the, the way, Jesus, there's all kinds of uh, havoc, right? Havoc all over the place. But what's this line here? The church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. When it's God building something, I don't care who comes along. It won't be broken apart because it's God building it. There's so, I think there's something to that because it's God defending it. It's God putting it together. It's God, God being the foundation. Jesus, right? Jesus being the cornerstone. He is the foundation to all of it. What happens? There's peace. It's being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Man, I wish the church could hear this, man. I wish the the church would walk in this. Walking in the fear of the Lord, in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I think that's that's the only way. I mean, it happens here, right? But that's what we need. That's what we need. You want peace. You want to see see the church be built up in, in general, all the churches. This is how we do it. Unfortunately, it, it has become gimmicky. It's all, it's all, how do I, how do, how do I rile up a crowd with, with a hot topic or something like that, right? Gimmicks, gimmicks or a giveaway or the typical one I always see somewhere, anywhere, right? Is the, uh, the, the free backpacks before school, right? Oh, here's a free backpack. Here's some pencil pens. What does that do, man? I'm not against, you know, helping people, all right? That's not what I'm saying, but, and we've talked about that. What does that do? What does that do for the gospel? What does that do for, what does that do for the house of God? What is that? In fact, here, let me read this line. Where's the walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit? Where is that? I don't know. Verse 32. Now as Peter went here and there among, he went here and there among them all, came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. Now again, Lydda. they're, They're just going out further and further, further and further. Bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, 
Anias, uh, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. What are we seeing? More signs and wonders. Why? Because it's another new place. It's another new place. They don't know. And, and check this out. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon or Sharon uh, saw him. And they turned to the Lord. Again, more cities. Why more cities? Because it's spreading. It's going out. This is not the, the Jews of the day anymore, all right? It's spreading. It's exactly as Jesus, uh, well, well, yeah, Jesus, but also what God wanted. Now there was in Joppa, is Joppa Jewish ground, Jewish territory? Nope. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas, fun name. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an in a upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, so Lydda, remember we just read about Lydda in verse 35. Lydda was near Joppa. The disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with him. When he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that uh, Dorcas made while she was with him. Do you guys find it interesting that Peter, I guess a nearby city, and they find the guy like they know about him already? How does that work? Well, the gospel is going to get out there, whether you like it or not. Remember we said like a, like a wildfire and everything's very like hyper. Everything's very big in the beginning here, right? Why? Because everything's so new. People don't know. What, what is this? What, okay, prove it. Boom, someone's healed. And then what's going to happen here? Because they, they know what's happening with this guy, right? Uh, verse 40, but Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes and she saw uh, Peter. She sat down. Let me read Luke 849 really quick it says while he was still speaking someone from the ruler's house came and said your daughter's dead do not trouble the teacher anymore but jesus on hearing this answered answered him do not fear only believe and she will be and she will be well and when he came to the house he allowed no one to enter with him except peter and john oh interesting peter's there peter john and james and the father and the mother of the child and all were weeping and mourning for her but he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed uh, laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. Isn't that kind of weird? Not weird, but isn't that interesting? Peter's there. He saw this. How did Peter know what to do here in Acts? He saw it happen. He walked with his master, Jesus. He was a good disciple. He learned something. How else do you do something like this unless you're taught, right? Not Even the wording is kind of funny. Right? Tabitha, arise. It's very... Very Jesus-like. Even the scene is kind of like that, right? He walks up. It's it's a girl, right? Everyone's crying, right? Oh, here's here's the tunics that she would make for us. And all right, guys, get out of the way. In fact, get out of the room. <laughs> and then Tabitha arrives. All right, so it's awesome to see them actually being with you know, like little Christ and like Christians, right? They're, they're copying the master. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, uh, and he gave her uh, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. And then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Now to you and I, that's okay, great. Who is that? Well, I don't know who Simon is, but Simon, a tanner. What is a tanner? You take skins, right? You take skins, like almost like make, make a leather kind of thing, right? So P Peter's a Jew, guys, remember? He's with someone who's touching dead, dead stuff. Leviticus, right? And I think somewhere in Leviticus, right? Think about it. Think about the picture. It's just telling you he's outside of his normal, normal everyday occurrence. You don't see stuff like that in Jerusalem. You don't touch the dead stuff. And he's doing it. He's actually with people who are doing what Gentiles do. He's, he's with Gentiles, guys. That's, that's what's happening. It's showing you he's outside of his realm. Here's some proof. There's, a, there's this guy, Simon the Tanner. He touches dead stuff. Yep, and Peter's there because 
what's going to happen? Go out into all the world and preach the gospel. It's happening. So even you know the places, the 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 names, uh, t- telling you what they're doing. It's it's doing that on purpose to tell you, look, look at what they dealt with. They dealt with stuff that even went against the Old Testament law of like touching like dead carcass stuff, right? Because he's, he's a tenor, right? Just cool, just cool uh, things when we kind of look at these you know verses, I guess verse by verse, right? It's happening. It's really spreading. And how much is it spreading? It spreads so much, it's outside of the territory of Jerusalem, just like Jesus said. And now it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And now Paul's in the scene. Oh man, it's, it's going to happen for sure now. It's, it's really going to catch fire. Could Peter do what Paul did? Nope, not at all. Not at all. Paul is experienced in these other, other places. He knows, this is, see, this is the more important part. He knows there are other gods. Because what do they do? They're, they're outsiders. They're Gentiles, right? They, they believe in other kinds of gods. Would Peter be able to do that? Probably not. Most likely not. But Paul, he was already prepared. He knew about the other gods. He, he knew stuff. It's so weird. Um, he, I don't want to get into it, but he knew about other, um, even other like subjects like medical stuff. He, there's some, there's, anyway, I won't get into it, but he talks about these like weird, like, what the heck? What are you even talking about? But it was clear that he knew stuff. He knew, he read stuff. He learned Gamaliel, right? That's one of those head guys. We, we talked about him in, in Acts 2. Paul was the guy. Paul would be able to speak to an outsider, speak their language. You know how, how important that is to be able to, to connect to a person? I think that's another issue. I mean, maybe not, not here, but Christianese, right? People talk Christianese. But to be able to connect to the person, if the guy is, is talking, yo, what up? You know, maybe maybe you got to learn a couple words in that so you can connect to the person. But eventually, I'm going to bring him up out of that yo, what up to, to something a little bit better than yo, what up, all right? I don't know, stupid analogies, guys. But, but I, I hope that makes sense. The point isn't to, to be like the world, but understand, like Paul did, but to bring him out of it and to bring him up, all right? So they, they too can be, you know, well, believers, Christians, and on and on. Anyway, but we'll continue on with uh, Acts chapter 10. Story's starting to get crazy. So, thank you for listening to today's message. 2 Corinthians 9 7 tells us that each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. If this message has been a blessing to you, we ask that you be a cheerful giver to this ministry by going to finallyalive.com forward slash give. We'll meet you again next time as we grow together and learn to be finally alive in Christ.